Good evening. Good evening. Um, we're gonna. Well, I'm gonna be discussing relation profiles. Um, but I'm, I'm, let's pray before we get into that. Um, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your word. I uh, pray that uh, you continue to humble us and soften our hearts, Lord. That these words will transform us into who you want us to be, Lord. And um, that it would lead us to a uh, greater obedience and love for you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Uh, <clears throat> we experience this every Sunday. Um, crying babies. Um, so when I was reading Revelation 5.5, 5, um, I, I was, it's one of the words there is weeping, or weep, and the first thing I thought of was a baby. Uh, I have three children, uh, Sunday morning, even evenings we hear that sometimes, my kids are probably willing, um, and then I started to think, what does that, what does that mean? Uh, why? So, when I hear a baby cry, when you hear a baby cry, um, it's a sign that the child needs something. There's a need that the child has, and they're trying to communicate that. As parents, um, well, not all of you might be parents, but as a parent, um, the response should be and generally is, I need to go give assistance to this child. Unfortunately, sometimes we fail as parents and there could be a sense of frustration, annoyance. And um, either way though, I think the important thing is the understanding of what the crime is trying to express. So it's a very complicated thing where it could be a response to a physical need. Maybe the child is hungry or sleepy. Um, it could be uh, a response to pain. So there's something that is creating that pain and the child is responding that way. Um, it could be an emotional need. It could be a sadness or a frustration. But the thing is that even as we grow older, that form of expression does not escape us. We find reasons, we find situations where crying is uh, a proper response. So we don't outgrow that. We might grow into greater or more efficient means of communication, but some situations require that method of communication, that method of expression. And as I said before, it's, it's signifying some sort of need that we have. So to go with that, um, everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone here has felt some sort of uh, loss or pain to make that connection with the crime. Um, so that can be one of those situations that, that, can, that can lead to that. Um, and in my head, when I think of that, the first thing I think of is death. That's probably like one of the great, um, 
or that's one of the situations, one of the most dire situations where you know, that would be, I, I would say, an appropriate response or an immediate response. But for me personally, I've had several family members in a short period of time die. It's been, um, it can be difficult. Thinking about that, uh, thinking about them, uh, can lead me to, to wonder, have I actually properly grieved these people? Um, and, and that can bring back those feelings of sadness and potentially that expression of, of crying. Uh, so, um, not for me personally, but for some people, sadness can be lead to um, you know, even other expressions of uh, other emotions and expressions. Um, there could be frustration, there can be regret, there can be um, anger. And the interesting thing is you can get this perpetual cycle of sadness and frustration kind of going back and forth and, and this is you know, depression and all these other things. So there's just this, it's, it could be something serious. And in this state, in the state of sadness and frustration, in the state of suffering, you might start thinking, well, you know, I've been wronged. There's something that's going wrong here. I've been wronged and how do, you know, how do I, how does this be, how, how is this made correct? How is this righted? Um, how, what can I do to make this the way I think is appropriate? And the thing is that Sometimes when you get down to the, the, the core, the, the foundation of this whole problem, you might realize that there's probably nothing in your own means that can right this injustice. And that can be even more frustrating. So in terms of a society, as a culture, as a people, um, methods to creating or restoring justice, it just seems like, you know, there's no real solution. So some things I thought about, I'm like, okay, what are some things that can probably fix this injustice? And then I started thinking, well, these means are insufficient. So I said, so as a, as a short list here, I said, you know, there's no act of vengeance no government system, no policy, no form of education, no amount of money, no human effort can fully make things right. And if that's so, then why should we why should we pursue injustice? Why should we pursue justice if it's unattainable? Why even bother? And the thing is, we need justice. Justice is necessary. If we don't have justice, thinking about a society, you're going to get some sort of totalitarianism, some sort of anarchy, this breakdown of civilization. Therefore, we must make every effort to pursue justice for the betterment of society, but also for human flourishing, for the better, better fit, for the betterment of ourselves. So what I'm saying is not that justice is meaningless to pursue, it's just we cannot achieve perfect justice. We have to keep that in mind. Now, um, if you think about that, when you think about justice, usually it's something like, 
someone's done something wrong against me, Something's wrong. someone's wronged me in some way. But uh, a better way of seeing the situation is, um, you know, if, if, if the greatest offense is you being wronged by someone, I think it's good to see it from another perspective and consider how have you wronged people. That is also a great offense and probably a greater offense in the eyes of others. And I think, as scripture says, that should be a great offense or a greater offense in our eyes as we look at the situation. So our wrong should be a greater offense than the wrongs that we suffer. And if we can't control other people in terms of seeking um, this, this ideal situation where people aren't wronged, and it's also difficult to control ourselves because we also wrong people, we're wronging each other. Um, you know, there seems to be this powerlessness in trying to make necessary changes toward a, uh, a perfect world, some sort of utopia. Now, that doesn't seem to be a very bright picture that I painted. So what, what I'm, what I propose if we're going to be seeking justice, like what, what, how do we do this? What, what do we need to do? We can't attain it on our own effort. Um, at, the same, we, at the same time, we should pursue it and we want this justice. Um, what, I, what I'm saying here is that I, I recommend that we have the act of forgiveness as a means to achieving that. And you might be asking yourself, well, how does that achieve how does forgiveness achieve justice? How does that make things right? Where are the consequences for someone's actions? Where's the responsibility like? And the answer to that is Jesus died for our sins. Now, that might lead to another set of questions. Whether uh, you are not a Christian or whether uh, you have some misunderstandings of Christianity, you might be asking yourself, well, isn't that itself an injustice? Jesus dying for our sins, an innocent man dying for the crimes of other people? The cruelty of the father leading his son to death? Is that not also an injustice? And surprisingly, you're not alone in, in coming up with those, with those questions. You're not the first person to think that God is unjust. God even had to correct Israel, who made a similar judgment. In um, Ezekiel 18, verses 26 to 32. So I'm going to read this. When a person turns from his righteousness and acts unjustly, he will die for this. He will die because of the injustice he has committed. But if a wicked person turns from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will preserve his life. He will certainly live because he thought it over and turned from all the transgressions he committed. He will not die. But the house of Israel says, the Lord's way isn't fair. Is it my ways that are unfair, house of Israel? Instead, isn't it your ways? that are unfair? Therefore, house of Israel, I will judge each one of you according to his ways. This is the Lord's, this is the declaration of the Lord Yahweh. Repent and turn from all your rebellious acts. 
so that they won't they will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of Lord Yahweh. So repent and live. Yes. Um, so to, Israel had the same misconception, misunderstanding. Um, where do we gather? Where should we gather from this? Well, we need to understand that sin, our sin, all sin is against God, and, the, and death is the price for sin. So in response, God gives life to us by taking the penalty of our sin, death, upon himself so that we may have eternal life with him. So that's where the justice comes. Now, with regard to our sin, God acts with wrath. He is wrathful. If you look at, um, we'll look at this a little bit. Um, can you see it over and over again? Ezekiel and the prophets and all that. They're always talking about, you know, God's wrath is coming. Um, you know, warning, the, the prophets are warning the, the Israelites. Um, so God acts with wrath because we violate, we violate his command and we stain his character. So he's wrathful, he's angry, though God's wrath is righteous as described earlier. So even though God is angry, it's not like our anger where we might get frustrated and act in some improper manner, biblical manner. God's wrath is righteous. So that distinguishes his wrath from our wrath, which, which makes his wrath um, acceptable should be acceptable in our eyes. Um, it's part of who he is, so that that should be, uh, it shouldn't be a surprise. Uh, Jeremiah 10, 23 to 24 states, I know Yahweh, that a person's way of life is not his own. No one who walks determines his own steps. Discipline me, Yahweh, but with justice, not in your anger, or you will reduce me to nothing. So God is angry. He will discipline us. But here we're seeing that the people, God's people, want him to be just in his, in his um, discipline. Otherwise, we'll be reduced to nothing. And that is kind of what we kind of expect or should expect from a all-powerful creator. But we also have to consider other aspects of who God is, not just his wrath. God is also loving. He is gracious and merciful, working for our salvation that we don't deserve. This salvation he gives us is for his glory. So God the Son willingly sacrificed himself as a penalty for our sin. By faith and repentance, we can receive forgiveness. We saw with in Ezekiel, he's finding us to repent and live. God has done what no human effort could achieve because he is worthy. So earlier I said, you know, our justice that we are seeking and that we can pursue is imperfect, but here God is providing perfect justice. John 10, 17 through 18. It's 
Jesus speaking. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay my life, I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So based on what we just described, it's not an injustice for Jesus to die for our sins, an innocent man dying for our sins, and it's not an injustice for the Father to call the Son to die for our sins, because Jesus here says he willingly does it. He has the right to do it. Jesus is the righteous one, fully obedient, fully obedient and pleasing to the Father. Jesus has all authority and power and so that when he returns as, a, as judge, he will bring final judgment and ultimate justice. So with all of that kind of background, let's read Revelation 5. This is 1 through 10. Then I saw the right hand of the one seated on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look in it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one, like a slaughtered lamb, standing in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the seated one on the throne. Then he took the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and a golden bowl filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood, for every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. After that, in verses 5, 12 through 14, we see some words um, of praise said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The next statement, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the proclamation of agreement So, Jesus is the one who's worthy. Um, verse 5, stating, do not weep. That was the word that caught me. Is he sad? Is he frustrated? Is he seeing the injustice that's being done, seeking it and seeing no solution because no one's worthy to open it? And then we have Jesus here, worthy to open it, and opens it. 
And if you haven't read the book of Revelation, those scrolls are there to bring judgment, justice. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you that you care for us so much that you choose to give your life for us, Lord. You choose to give your all for us. You do for us what we cannot achieve on our own. You do for us what we think we can foolishly do for ourselves. And just like John Lord, we should we should be weeping and seeing that none of our efforts will achieve the salvation that we want. None of the efforts will achieve whatever idealized image we have for our lives and the world, Lord. But you comfort us, Lord. You comfort us and you give us beautiful words and beautiful promises that we can live by. And help us, Lord. Help us to see our, our iniquity. Help us to see our sinfulness, the severity of our sinfulness, Lord. And help us to respond, as we saw, with the proclamations of praise and the singing to your, to your name, Lord. Fall down on our faces in worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.